Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Baton Rouge. I'm Jeremy. I'm the senior pastor. Just want to welcome you. I'm so glad you're here this morning and, and just really excited for today. Today, we come to a close in our series of Come to the Table. And we've been talking about communion for the last six weeks and how we rediscover the power and passion um, of, of the table. And you know, one of the first things that we talked about, and, and that's, that's crucial to this entire series, is that communion is more than a practice. It's more than a memorial. It's a place to experience the very real God. You know, for so long, and, and a lot of uh, what, you know, what we consider kind of non-denominational churches are, are kind of more... Um, more uh, evangelical churches, some would say, we've, we, we look at experiencing God often through uh, musical worship. And, and, I, and I think that's a valid and, and absolute way to experience God. And, and as someone who um, is, is, is a musician, I can, I can appreciate that, you know, very, very much. Um, but one thing I've been challenged with and I want to, to, to challenge us with is that that's not the only way that we can experience God in a deep, deep way. It's, it's actually quite vast. And I think one of those primary ways is at the table. It's a place to, to experience the living God. And so we've, we've been talking through that. And, um, you know, we, we, we tied the story to Exodus. And so I bring up the slide because if, if there's any of these that you want to look at and kind of see how everything ties together, you can catch all the sermons, um, except for last week's, uh, because of a technical issue, online. If you have podcast software, it's there. And, and, and you can also look at our practical tips. But... We've been looking at this thing in stages, and so the first and most important thing at the table is to be able to embrace and accept the love of God. Like, it's one thing to know that God loves you. It's one thing to, like, read about it and hear about it and know that's the truth, but to actually experience that truth is a whole nother thing. And the communion, the table, gives us an opportunity to actually experience that truth of being loved by God. And then we talked about and, and then we talked about how, we, how the communion actually ties to the story of Exodus. And so the story of Exodus was actually kind of remade in like the story of Jesus. He did like a new Exodus, kind of like a movie remake. You know, like how they like remake movies from 30, 40 years ago, except that this remake was better, unlike most other ones, which just can never quite, they're just never quite good enough, you know? Not quite the original. This story, this remake was better. And Jesus started a new exodus that was for everyone. And so we, we under, begin to understand and tie the old story to the new story and find that we can actually find redemption and freedom just like the Israelites found redemption and freedom from slavery. You know, there are things that we all walk into with, you know, with bondage that, that we kind of have to deal with in our lives. And sometimes generational, you know, the Israelites were in slavery for 400 years. And sometimes we have even generational stuff that we have to go through and we have to deal with, but that we can actually find freedom from that, that those chains are, are, can be broken and that we don't have to stay in that place, that we don't have to perpetuate those things for the next generation. And that we can find that redemption, we can find that healing at the table that we can find spiritual renewal. And that as we change our heart and we change our orientation towards a place of thanksgiving, that actually changes things around us. 
Like when we get to a place of thanksgiving, it helps us reorient towards the world. Then last week we talked about that we're broken to be given. That in our brokenness, that we find healing, but it's also used to be given to others. That we talked about last week that to remember Jesus actually means we remember the poor. And that we, that, that, that we do life with everyone. And today, as we close, we look at part two of this idea of broken to be given and find our purpose as a missional community gathered around the table. Uh, so Dan talked about it, and, and, and I brought this up last week, but this Friday is going to be a great conclusion to this series as we do the Stations of the Cross. Um, it, it is a phenomenal opportunity and with this interactive experience to kind of just walk through history and walk through the present with Jesus and really have this, this profound um, experience. And so I really want, if you can make it, if you're off Friday or you can break away for lunch, um, it's something that, that will really take everything we've been talking about and just, and, and I hope you've had experiences up to this point these last few weeks, but that's really going to just really help um, t- take it to a new depth. All right, so Let's dive in. As we break the bread of communion, we remember that Christ was broken for us. Quite literally, right? As we think about the areas in our lives where we have been broken, we know we can find healing at the table. But we also know that our brokenness is not just for ourselves, but it is used for the restoration of others. You know that we've all had struggles, we've all had brokenness, but it doesn't end with us. It ends as we, help someone, as, we, as we help others find restoration. And when I say building up of the church, I want to explain, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the campus. I'm talking about each other. That we build up each other. That we spur one another on. And so, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So this section that we see right here, this passage, comes right after the instructions that Paul gives on communion. This is what comes right after that. And I want you to look at that last phrase. For the common good good. When we take communion, we need to see it as more than a memorial, but a place of communion together. It's more than eating and interacting with each other. We are called to live for each other. Like, that's a vast difference than kind of just showing up, you know? We do so using the gifts and service mentioned in the scripture, but the purpose of it, the end part of it, the, 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 the gifts are the means, the end is the common good. And that's what we need to be looking towards amongst our community. So I want to show you something. I want to look at what happened right before the first communion. So the first communion happened with Jesus and his 12 disciples, and and I want to look at what he did right before that. John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. 
So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This is quite amazing, right? So like this was like leading into communion and we have a hard enough time in our culture with like the idea of washing someone else's feet, like that level of humility, right? It's even more so here, right? And so while there isn't like an official class system, we still have kind of a class system, right? But in the church, in the body, there is no class system. Like if Jesus can bend down to wash the disciples' feet, he's sending a very clear message about the way that we live for each other. And listen, there are a lot of things pulling us in all kinds of directions, right? We're more busy than ever before. It's funny because each advent of technology that's supposed to make our lives easier just gives us more time to do more things, <laughs> right? And so I get that. I get the pressure that everyone is constantly under. But I want to challenge us is that when we come to the table, it should help reorient our lives around the communion table. That when we take this bread and this juice, it's a place where we can begin to rearrange not just our lives, but our hearts of working towards the common good amongst our community. Living for each other. Bearing each other's burdens. Like saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to walk with you in this. Like, you know, you, you, you ever watch a, a game and, and a player gets injured and two other players come around him or her and, and, and lifts him up and then walks with him back? Like, that's to bear each other's burdens, to do it together, washing each other's feet. I want to I tell a story about a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas is one of those guys that kind of exists in the background. But he's come to be, over the last, the, the last couple of years, one of my favorite characters in, in, in the story, in, in God's story. You know, when you look at the heroes of faith, his name doesn't really come up that often. You know, when you look at his impact, though, his footprint is much larger than his fame. So, First things first, Barnabas' actual name is Joseph. His nickname is Barnabas. They call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, you'll see that a couple times throughout Scripture. And in kind of the, the, the culture at the time, when you said son of, it really just meant you are that thing. And so, you know, a couple of the disciples were called sons of thunder, 
because they were a bit explosive. They maybe had a couple anger issues. I don't know if you know anyone like that. I don't. Anyway. And so, and, and kind of the, the, the Aramaic Hebrew Greek culture, that's what they did. And so it was kind of like when I was in, <clears throat> I was in school playing football. Um, there's this thing called a, a neck roll. It's a pad that, that you wear to protect your neck. They called me neck roll <laughs> because my neck actually rolled. <laughs> it was so mean. <laughs> but it's just, it's what they called you because that's, that's, that's who you were. That's what you did. And you know, like, the worst part of that story is that it wasn't like another player who called me that. It was my coach. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Okay, so it was the nickname. We call him Barnabas. He was the encourager, right? Son of encouragement. He was the encourager. And so, anyway, to, you know, to get that kind of nickname, it was a strong indication and description of who he was. That's who he was, and that's what he did. We see throughout the letters, Barnabas is one of those that just encouraged people all the time. He lifted them up. He stood up for them. He gave all that he had, literally sold his stuff, gave it to the church, and said, I'm, I'm just going to spend time encouraging people. One of, the, one of his biggest impacts, though, was with a guy named Saul, uh, who we have come to know as Paul. So a lot of us know the, the Paul story, but there, there, there's another part to it that's, that's really interesting. So um, for those of you who don't know, Paul was like on a mission to, to pretty much end the church. <laughs> so he went about persecuting the church. Now today, these days, we kind of throw around persecution uh, in the West. But when I say persecution, when they say persecution in the Bible, that means throwing people in jail and killing them, <laughs> right? Because I want to lay out like what's really happening right now to understand like the impact of this story. So this is what Paul was doing, and he had the full authority to do it, which makes it even worse, <laughs> right? And so he goes around, then he has this amazing conversion experience. He has, this, he has this encounter with Jesus that just like knocks him on his back, and he, he completely changes his heart and changes his ways. And he becomes a fully devoted follower of Christ. Not only to like, like be a part of the church, but to actually help lead it. But before he could do that, he had to like be a part of the church. This is the problem. No one thought this conversion experience was real. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. This guy, I mean, last week this guy just killed your brother. And now you want, he wants to be a part of the church. You're a little bit skeptical about this conversion experience, right? You're like, oh, do, do you really believe in Jesus or are you just trying to find more of us that you can put in jail, right? Like, that's probably what's going on right here is that's, that's what they're thinking. But what's definitely happening is that they are not accepting him into the community. Except for one person, Barnabas. Barnabas understood what was happening and stood up for Paul. He spoke up for him. He said, I'm going to go to bat for you. I'm going to get you accepted into this community. It was Barnabas against the whole Christian community. And he said, look, this guy's genuine. He's real. We need to accept him. And they did. And Paul became one of the most influential people in the Christian narrative 
And it was made possible by a guy working in the background, by a guy you just don't hear much about. There's this power and being able to just do what we're called to do even when we're not seen doing it. You know, I remember for a long time, and I mean, there's irony in this story, but like for a long time, like I, 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 as I, when I first started pastoring years ago, um, where I like, I wanted to do more. And I just remember this, 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 this time with God where we were saying, it's like, are you content with just being here, right here where I put you? And even if you go no further, even if you aren't able to, to, to do the things that like, to where you, you, you have a, a, a larger voice. And at first I was like, I mean, I think the answer you want is yes. <laughs> But the real answer was no. And, like, and, so, and so I had to get to a point where it's like, yeah, I'm okay if I don't have a larger voice than the one I have now. And so I'm just gonna, I'm, so I'm just gonna work with a tiny voice that I do have for those that you have given. And so, I mean, I didn't end up there. Like, it, I mean, I didn't start there. Like, I had to really work towards that. The irony in that story is I finally became okay with that and I didn't want a larger voice. And then he changed that too. Anyway, the point being, like being okay with just being in the background, using whatever God has given you, actually makes it so that you're more than okay. And you actually have kind of more life because of it. And so, you know, the primary reason for me telling the story about Barnabas is, is to help us understand what it means to encourage and build each other up. But I also venture to ask, as I think about that story, as I was thinking about it yesterday, I'm like, you know, what does it look like in our current climate? What does it look like in a community of people around the table of Jesus? What does it look like to stand up for people, to welcome and accept people into the fellowship, people who are unnecessarily feared, feared by others? People who look different, people who come from a different place, people who have a different background, who have a different life story, who have a different experience. What does it look like when one part of the church rejects them for us to say, no, we're going to stand up for you and accept you? What does it look like to be Barnabas in that scenario? And what does it do for that person and for the larger community? I mean, look what it did for, for, for the Christian community when when Barnabas stood up and accepted Paul, it changed the whole face of the church in the, in the, in the eastern seaboard. Like, it changed everything in the east. And so what does it look like for us right now? In a world of suspicion, how can we stand up for those that are genuine and are searching? How can we be that for people? The kids are having a good time right now. <laughs> so we understand the call to communion that it gives us. So, so how do we do it, though? How do we become like Barnabas? Let's continue where we left off in Corinthians. To one, there is given, the spirit, the, you're given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. 
to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another by faith the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and it distributes them to each one just as he determines. So just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We do this. We become those encouragers. We build up the church by using our gifts. And what's clear here is that we all have them. We've all been given some kind of gift. Sometimes we know what they are. Other times we need help discovering them. But it's about using what's been given. Now, one of the first things we need to understand about this list that we just read is that it's not exhaustive. This isn't like everything. This doesn't cover everything. When we look at all of Scripture, we see that there are a myriad of gifts. And this is important because in the church, we kind of get in the habit of ranking gifts. And we say, oh, this gift is more important than the other, and this gift is more important than that one. And we have to, we have to get away from that. As we see in the scripture, it's one body and many parts. We also need to not differentiate and place different values on gifts. So this is what happens. We, we have a, a, a supernatural gift or something that seems supernatural, and then we have like a, a seemingly natural gift. And we say, oh, well, this one is more valuable than this one. That person's more spiritual, and so they have a higher value than, than this person. And this, that's just not at all scriptural. That is not at all the heart of God. And we have to understand that we all have gifts and we all get to use them and that we all get to play and we all get to be a part of it. And no one is more important than the other. The carpenter is just as important as the pastor. The gift of music is just as spiritual as the gift of mechanics because they all come from the same spirit. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So to build each other up using our gifts means that we're actively, actively looking for ways to use them. We look for the unseen. We look for the one who needs help. We search out for the rejected. We have to be active about it. Romans 12, 6. We have different gifts. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take it seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. It's just, if you have it, do it, and do it in sincere love. That's how I would summarize that passage. If you got it, use it. 
to honor each other above our own interests. And like that's, that comes to be kind of some of the hard part, right? Because our ego and our preferences tend to come to the front when we end up doing life together. But when we live for each other, we can actually take that humble act of putting someone else before ourselves, putting their needs first. And you know, the one thing in all of this is that we've all been given gifts. I mean, I think there's one thing we see is that whatever you have, use that. And like I said, sometimes you need help discovering that. But I remember when I was teaching um, uh, media in, in high school, and I, and I was talking to my students, and so a lot of my students would take the class, and some were more creative and some were more technical. And so a lot of my technical students, when I would give them an assignment, they would say, nah, I can't really do that because I'm not creative. And I'm like, that's not true. Everyone has some level of creativity. See, we kind of like eschew creativity to music and the arts and like the things that we know, but cre- creativity is everywhere. And you just have to tap into it, and you have to find out, find the way that's your creative. And so, in the same way, you just have to find your gifts. You have to discover what you have and work out of that. So we understand the goal, the call. We can begin because we have resources already in us. But it's more than understanding and doing, right? You know, it's, it's more than, than, than knowledge and acts. Because everything we've talked about in this series shows us that it's an experience. That as we do that, something happens. We get to have this transcendent experience. We get to find fulfillment in our lives. So one of the first things we need to dismantle, though, is a certain belief that we have towards service that got developed, I'm not sure when, but I think sometime over the last few hundred years, where it's this idea that if I'm going to serve with the church and among the church, I'm just going to be miserable. Like, I just have to do things that I don't like because God said so. (laughs) And it ends up becoming duty and obligation. But that's not at all the heart of God. That's not at all what he set up. Now look, there's sacrifice, yes. There is an intentional and conscious choice, yes. But it doesn't have to be obligation and misery. When it becomes that, we miss the love and the light that's possible when we are living for each other using the gifts we've been given. Like, I'll tell you what, I, to this day, am suffering <laughs> the pains of playing football for 10 years. Like, five concussions, you just saw me crack my shoulder right now. It wasn't because I wanted to. <laughs> like, it hurts every time. I, today, am still dealing with that. But I will never, never regret what I gained from being part of a team, what I learned about being a part 
of a unit, of doing something that was bigger than ourselves, what I learned of how to sacrifice for my teammates, what I learned about the sum being bigger, about the whole being bigger than the sum of its parts. There's something greater that happens when it's a team doing it. And the church is much wider than that. And we can all have that experience. And when we all participate in that same way, it just does something to you. It changes you. You know, God is not going to ask us to, 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 to do these things that just like we hate all the time. I mean, like, that wouldn't make any sense. That would make him really mean. And he's not, that's not who he is, you know? And maybe you don't know that, but I'm telling you right now, that's not who he is. You see, what's happening in the church a lot is this thing that we call, that me and my friends call gift projection. <laughs> and so it's this thing where I have a certain gift, and so we project it into others and, like, make them feel like they should have that gift, and if they're not, then they're not Christian enough. And I know some of you have experienced that. And that's just not the way it works. As we can see, they are distributed to each one separately. <laughs> the way God intends, the way God has seen sees fit. Not by the way we want it to happen. You know, a conductor of an orchestra doesn't make the cellist play flute because it's not a responsibility. That wouldn't work out for anyone, <laughs> right? The conductor's job is for everyone to play their part, to bring the whole team together and create something beautiful. And in the same way, we are all to play our parts with the instruments that we already have and know and create something beautiful. And look, your opportunity can come in ways that aren't the norm. You might find you're able to fill a hole you were made for and just didn't realize it. Now look, this doesn't mean it's all rainbows and butterflies all the time, right? Sacrifice is real. We, have, you know, we live in the real world, but sometimes we just got to push through. And yeah, there are times like that, but it's worth it when we're doing those things that we were made to do. Like, we all don't get to have the dream job, right? It's actually, that's more than the exception than the rule. A lot of times you got to do the job to take care of your family, right? And so it's not about the dream job, but in, you don't always get to do what you love as a job. And I get that. But the body, the fellowship, the table, this is the place where we get to do what we love. This is the one place in the whole world where you get to do what you love all the time and get life from it all the time. And it's not always good. It's not always easy. But you don't mind because you're getting to do what's already in you. With that said, there's another reality here as we close that I want to acknowledge and talk through. Those here, there are some here who have served, who have given, who have built up tirelessly and endlessly. And what often comes in the midst of that is burnout or spiritual stagnation 
where you've kind of just hit a wall spiritually. Or even pain from trying to endure. The table is a place to be refreshed. You ever been working on your computer and just things just kind of started running slowly and it got really frustrating and you can't get anything done and you kind of want to throw it out the window? You know, you ever been at that place? Hey! But you restart your computer and then everything is fine, right? Sometimes we just need a refresh. That's going to be so weird on the podcast when I just randomly say hey and they're listening and they don't know why. (laughs) The communion is a place to be refreshed. To find a new depth, to seek the face of God and experience the promise in Isaiah, to actually be able to live the promise in Isaiah. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not go weary. They will walk and not be faint. She is nor weary nor faint. (laughs) Our life and fulfillment take hold and mission. As a missional community, we can find transformation and contentment. We can dip into the waters of Christ and be refreshed. And as we do, it radiates out so that Morris can experience the same. All right, let's look at some practical tips, because now's the time. All right, number one, who in your current circle at church can you spend time building up, encouraging, or simply helping out using your gifts? Decide on that person and take the next steps. Number two, who can you identify not in your circle, but still in the community that could use some building up? Who is unseen and unheard here? Once you figure that out, serve them with sincere love and devotion. Number three, if you are burnt or stagnant or dealing with pain from serving, spend time seeking and asking God for a refresh to find new strength and hope. Spend time looking at the areas where you are serving out of duty and not out of your gifting and make an adjustment. And as you take these steps, the staff will help you. We will help you. That's like, that's kind of our main job here, is to get you equipped so that we're all doing ministry. We'll help you find your gifts. We'll help you get in the right place. And and there's going to be more stuff that's coming over the coming months as we kind of work through all that. But in the meantime, we'll help you do that. Because building each other up Washing each other's feet doesn't have to be duty. It gets to be filled with joy and out of a desire and a wanting. All right, let's stand. We're going to just... I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up right now. And we're going to have a couple songs for communion. And just as we, as we take communion together, one, I ask you, you know, 
to take it with the group if possible. And as you're working through everything we've been talked about, just kind of bring it to God wherever you are and just see what he wants to say to you. And wherever you are in your faith, if you're feeling compelled and you want to take communion, you're welcome to. We practice open communion, and, and I, th- I think Jesus wants to meet you right now. And so the table is open to you. And uh, our prayer team is up for anything that you would want prayer for. And so let's, uh, let's, let's worship and let's, and let's take communion right now.